You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. We're in the fifth week of this sermon series called Grateful, where we've been going through the first and second letters of Timothy to, uh, this is Paul writing to this young protege in the early church. He was a pastor of a church. And we've been asking the question as we've been studying these letters, is the grace of God something that we can live on, that renovates us, that fuels us, or is it just a concept for us to know about? We've been finding week after week that there's an invitation of grace for us to receive, a work of God already underway that he's pulling us into that fundamentally changes the way we look at our lives and the rest of the world. It changes everything. Well, if you have a Bible and you don't read it, um, this week we're looking at what it is uh, that is the word of truth, the word of God given to us. It's a, a gift, actually, a grace, isn't it, in that way? If you have this word of truth, this gift, and you don't read it, um, you may not know what it is you have. And this isn't a guilt trip, uh, but think of this. What if you had God's written message to you for where you are in your life today? God speaks to you powerfully. Maybe some of you don't want to hear God speak to you. He is in the business of speaking. He does. He's present to us and he speaks. If you have a Bible and you don't read it, you may not know that this is actually the way that God speaks to you. One of the primary ways that God's voice reaches you and accesses you. I could give hours to just the concept of what is Holy Scripture, what is the Word of God. Um, but one definition of them I think that is really helpful for us this morning is this. The Bible is the account of humanity's encounter with the living God. The Bible is a reliable account, even, of humanity's encounter with the living God. And his message. Not only just their encounter with him, witnessing who God is and what he does, but also what he says what truth comes from him that is revealed to us that we can welcome and receive in our own lives. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, um, if you come find me after the service, I'd be happy to give you a Bible this morning. You should have a Bible. And, we're, and we give those away. That's a, there's a grace right there. You should have a Bible. In this history of humanity's encounter with God and with God's message, this voice of God that reaches us, that finds us, there is one figure that brings into crystal clear focus and clarity, precision about who God is and what his message is. If I, if I can like give a spoiler to you about what the Bible is all about, it is about this one figure that has been revealed to us, Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is just preliminary, is leading up to, pointing ahead to, this one figure. Everything that we read in the early church and in the letters after the life of Christ and even this like revelation to John about what's to come in the end also has everything to do with Christ. In fact, you cannot understand the message of the Bible apart from the person of Jesus Christ. He is the lens through which we can read scripture and understand what it's meaning and conveying to us. Amen? Amen. You guys should read the Bible. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time looking through the life of Jesus and understanding the scriptures. Meeting him in scripture, hearing Jesus' message, 
We see the Father. We hear the Father. Being moved by Jesus, by his example, following along with him as his disciple, receiving that peace that he breathes upon us, we see and hear and are moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Jesus that we encounter when you encounter Jesus, but the triune life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we find in him. Now, when we read the Bible, and we expect to find all of these things, and you should, sometimes we read the Bible in some sort of kind of magical category in our life. We read it, it is so special to us, so revered, such a revelation of God's life, that we end up kind of treating it like a fable or a myth or some spiritual advice quarantined off from the rest of our life, and we fail to actually take seriously what it is that Scripture is giving to us, what it's revealing to us. And in this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, I think part of what he is encouraging Timothy to rethink and to remember, even for his parish, is the simple message of the gospel. Never forget this, Timothy. I know you have the, re- the, the writings of Holy Scripture, and I know you have this ministry before you in the church that apparently is fighting over words. Like, what's new, right? The church is still doing these things. We have entire denominations fighting over words, right? So, like, nothing's changed, much of all. Um, But you have Paul saying to Timothy, of all of this, this will always happen, but of all those things, never forget the basic, basic message of truth that God is giving through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul commends to Timothy. We're going to look at it this morning. Beginning in verse 8 in chapter 2. This is um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I want to read this for us. Remember Jesus Christ, this is Paul saying. And listen to what he's saying. This is it, y'all. You're gonna, if you're going to like tune me out for the rest of the service, fine. Just listen to me on this. This is Paul. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, Paul says. For which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Think about this, just for a second. Take it out of the category of mythology or fable or spiritual writings that we go like, yeah, that's great, Paul, that's wonderful, that's Paul, that's not me. I don't know what this has to do with my life. Take it out of that category for just a second, and let's like step into that prison cell with Paul, imaginatively, hearing those chains rattling around as he's dictating or writing this letter to Timothy. What must have been the reality for Paul, who is in prison, writing to Timothy saying, look, Just remember one thing, Jesus Christ. What kind of person would say something like that, given their circumstances? How deeply convinced was Paul of the power of this message for Timothy to change everything that was going on in the church? Just as a human being, can you step into Paul's psyche a little bit and think, this guy must have been really convinced of what he encountered on the road when he met Jesus. What God revealed to him by the Holy Spirit about what it is that God's been up to in that message that God is reconciling the world to himself. Paul must have been just in his guts, totally convinced about this truth. To be writing in chains to Timothy. Remember this, Timothy. This is what matters. God is really in control. He's really up to something. His message really does matter. This one who has come to relay this message to say, everybody pay attention. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That person, when we encounter them truthfully, 
with our whole minds engaged. Paul's saying, remember this one was the descendant of David, that king with that lineage that would point to the one that would come to rescue all of us, the Messiah. This is that one. Don't forget that one and his message. Paul, chained, must have been thinking of Jesus even, despite death, being chained by death, so to speak, has been raised from the dead and gives his spirit to his church and is still at work in the world. This is the message that Paul's saying, Timothy, don't forget this. As bad as things get, as complicated as things get, don't forget this. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead of that royal line of David, breathing his spirit upon us, setting us free. Now, I keep referencing Timothy's messed up church, which I'm sure we can relate to. We've all had those experiences in a church, right? Timothy's church was particularly, it seems, bickering over words. And they were losing sight of the thing that this word, these words were pointing to. They would argue over maybe like the Greek translation of this, or I don't know, who knows what they're arguing about. But words, and we can all imagine that. While losing sight of the point of all of these words, what they're actually indicating and revealing to us. But for Paul, what he's saying essentially is like, look, all of the, the word fighting, the word games, the bickering, whether it's words or something else, like what you're going to bring to a potluck. You know how Christians fight in the church sometimes? It's like crazy. We've done this. Paul's saying, look, y'all, all that's secondary. That's actually not what makes you the church. That's actually not what brings you rescue and salvation. All of that is secondary to the most ultimate reality, the most important thing, which is that we are saved by Christ Jesus. And I think the reason Paul is driving this in with Timothy as his message is because when a people are convinced of this, it changes everything else. But this is what is most fundamental a people who are convinced that I am saved by Christ Jesus, who is raised from the dead, this Messiah who has breathed his spirit upon me. If that's really who I am and I'm convinced of this, this gift changes everything. Paul, when he kind of unpacks this a little bit more in verse 10, he uses the word elect, which I know some of us kind of like get shivers when we hear this word because it sounds so exclusive but let me explain let me read this passage this verse for us and then i'll explain a little bit verse 10 says this therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory it's interesting now again step, step into paul's mind he's in prison writing timothy remember this one thing and remember that you are the elect uh, sorry, he says, remember that I am suffering all these, these things for the sake of the elect, that they would also obtain that salvation in Jesus Christ. Why use this word elect? I think Paul is, is keenly aware of the words he's using. This is nothing he's just kind of, you know, laying out real, real briefly. He's doing this very intentionally. And it sounds uh, perhaps exclusive to us that God would choose people to receive his gospel and be on the inside of his life, right, to be part of that rescue. That might sound exclusive to us. But the elect in Scripture is always, has always been God's choosing of a people for the sake of others. Every single time, think about it, Abraham, through you I'm going to bless the entire world. Israel, through you I'm going to bless the entire world. Think about that. Even think of, I mean, and really in, in all ways they point to Christ, right? Through you. 
God is going to bless the entire world. Even the church, as Paul writes to Timothy, church, why have you been elect? Why have you been chosen? So that we can all sit around and enjoy like the smell of incense and, you know, like fellowship, quote unquote, after church with some coffee and then, and then move on with our lives like nothing happened? No. Paul's saying to Timothy, maybe even to us, church, the reason you're elect is so that you would be a blessing to the entire world, to your neighborhood. The people that you work with, not a lot of people work with. Guess what? God has chosen you that through you, you would be a blessing to those people. To that family that you're stuck in, you're like, gosh, this family. Not a lot of people can call them family. And yet here you are, chosen by God, elect, that through you, you would be a blessing to them and to the whole world. Does that make sense? For Paul to be able to use that word elect is to point to something that is more ultimate than his chains, his circumstance. To point to the fact that God is determined to, through people, through Jesus Christ, bless the entire world. And to include and invite all these people, the entire cosmos, into this rescue effort of God. For Paul, chains were not ultimate, if I could say it again. His bad situation was not what was actually most true about him. To be able to say something like this to Timothy. The way his life was going, some people would say, man, it's like a real failure. Here you are, Paul, in prison, not going so well. But he was so convinced that what was most true about him and what God was doing in his life was not prison or chains, but was what God was doing through Jesus Christ. And even now in Paul, through Paul, in prison, writing a letter to Timothy saying, remember Jesus Christ. Remember who he was, that God raised him from the dead. That is what's most ultimate. It even has the power to save a bickering church from themselves. Y'all hear that? The message of the gospel has the power to save Christians from themselves and from each other. Wow, it's pretty powerful. From the distraction of arguing over really stupid kind of like What's the point kind of things? You ever get into an argument where you lose sight of why you're arguing? Like, what are we even arguing about, honey? I don't even remember, but I'm right, you know? That the power of the gospel helps us, actually invites us into what is most ultimate, not getting lost in the weeds of our own agendas and our own wants and our own hopes and desires and the things we just need to be right about. We need to win on Twitter or whatever space that we're like, I have to put this other person down. I have to be right. The gospel sets us free from that kind of bondage and that kind of captivity. You don't have to do that, actually. That's what Paul's saying here. Believing that Jesus Christ has truly been raised from the dead, that he is our rescuer, our Messiah, the anointed one, and that he breathes his spirit on you. It changes your entire outlook on life. It changes who you are. It renovates you from the inside out and sets before you a whole new life. So those old things that are right there waiting for us as we go out the door, just enticing us to get totally mad about, wrapped up in, to argue with somebody over, you're going to walk out the door, you're going to open up your phone, you're going to find a reason to be like totally bent out of shape. You can find it anywhere you look, right? But this message of the gospel, if we've come to truly hear it, and if we've truly come to his table and received it, doesn't that have an effect on us? Shouldn't that fundamentally change what we do next? If we've truly received this as a gift, 
if we have welcomed the power of God to transform and renovate our broken hearts, the darkness in our own souls, those unmet desires, shouldn't the encounter with the living God, this word of truth, change all that for us? A person who loses sight of that, the sight of a person who's lost sight of the fact that the world belongs to God and his reign is being laid upon it and gathered to himself. Once we lose sight of that, we end up just be kind, kind of getting thrown to our trappings, our devices, our sins, the same old patterns, right? We lose sight of that, just like what Paul's referencing here in Timothy's church. And it's a real self-centered kind of way of living, isn't it? Everything in reference to us that Paul's inviting us to be freed from with this message. And so Paul kind of doubles down with Timothy. And he's, if you could hear this, folks, if you could just kind of hear this as doubling down for our sake, listen to what Paul's saying in verse 11. And whenever he starts something saying, the saying is sure, or verily, verily, or that kind of thing, it's like, hey, everybody wake up again, pay attention, you really need to hear this. This is what Paul's saying. Verse 11, this saying, the saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This kind of news that Paul is sharing with us is news that is worthy of building a life on. We can, we can live here. We can actually settle our lives, our desires, our plans, our real-life circumstances, the chains that we're in, maybe the prisons we're in, like Paul. Whatever it is you've got today, you can build a life on this. It's a completely new life. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's a saying worth repeating, isn't it? That is like the epitome of the gospel message. If you want to know what the good news is, our church is going to say it just a little bit later in the liturgy. And, and y'all, we say it so often that maybe we've kind of checked out that we say it. Maybe we should hear what it is we're saying freshly. Paul's message, the thing we say later on in the liturgy, it is what is most fundamentally orientating to us. How we make sense of our own self, how we make sense of the world, how we make sense of the times. The way we tell time, the way we tell truth, our compass is super simple. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Can you imagine next time you have a temptation to like um, lash back at somebody or really let them have it on, you know, a comment on social media or fire back a nice email that just kind of like, you know, write back to them in a much more clever way? Can you imagine instead of like yelling at people who get us mad or reaching to take something that's ours or being afraid or positioning ourselves at work or feeding any of the insecurities that we have? Can you imagine in the middle of a fight with a dear, dear friend, or maybe your spouse? Or can you imagine when looking over your checkbook and worrying about money? Can you imagine the addictions and the vices that we have? Whatever it is, can you just pull that front and center in your life? What is that for you? Can I just speak this to that circumstance? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You see what I'm saying? How that 
It isn't just a set of words, but there is a truth packaged in that, that the Holy Spirit, just like a fire hose straight into our belly, we can feel the difference that that makes. We know, somehow we know, that is what's most ultimately true about our lives and where things are headed. And that leads us to places of peace, settlement. You can almost feel it in your shoulders, like a nice deep breath, right? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That is worth building a life on. We repeat it again and again. But like Naaman and the king of Israel at the time, who was humbled by bathing in the dirty Jordan River or was offended that this person would even come to him and ask for healing. Or like that one leper that came back and thanked Jesus for his healing. In order to truly receive this message of the gospel about who Jesus is, everything I'm saying this morning, there is actually a bit of humility that we have to take on to ourselves to cooperate with God. Why would this person come to me asking for, does he think that I'm going to heal him, that I have what it takes? And the prophet has to say, excuse me, let the word of God speak to this. And, the, and Naaman, I have to bathe in this dirty river? Why can't he just like wave a wand on me and heal me? Everyone in this story is being humbled to truly receive the work of God, to receive this word that he's giving. Jesus healing 10 lepers and nine of them leave and only one comes back to say thank you for this healing. Jesus is like, you're the foreigner? You're the one who came back? What happened to the other nine? He was humbled, all of these people. And so must we humble ourselves, put down our defenses, put down our pride, put down all those excuses, the reasons that we're afraid to welcome and open our lives up to the living God and his word to us. We can lay all those things down and receive this message that God is speaking to us this morning. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And when we receive this message, y'all, and you can do this this morning, even if you've never done this before, to be a Christian is to receive this, this message, to welcome it into your life and to guide you. And if that's where you're at this morning, maybe you've never decided to do that. You've never welcomed that, that message of Jesus. You can do that this morning. You can decide, my life is now going to be about this. God help me. And during the service, we have folks in the back who are willing to pray for folks. Go, go harass one of them. Shake their arm and say, look, I think I'm making a decision to be a Christian. Can you tell me what that's really all about? Can you pray with me? They would be happy to do that if that's where you're at this morning. But in a lot of ways, whether you've, you're making that decision for the first time this morning or maybe you've been a Christian for your whole life, we still have to make all, every single one of us still have to make that decision every single day. Do we not? to welcome this message of God that fundamentally orients our entire life. And it's not just a message or an idea, but it's the person of Jesus who brings that message into our life and works it, works it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I return to that original question about the Bible, that one of the key ways that God speaks to us and reveals to us who Jesus is and what is the gospel. If you, if you have a Bible and you don't read it, do you realize what it is you have? This word of truth that's living and active that guides and speaks to you. Our bishop this week, we were at a clergy retreat in Santa Cruz, and he asked a really good question that I think is actually pertinent to this. He said, do you even want to be addressed by God? Do you want God to speak to you? 
It's really inconvenient. He'll rearrange some things that you don't want rearranged. He will call you to give up things that you don't want to give up. Do you really want the living God to speak to you? You desire to hear from him? I want to invite you to reconsider that want. Maybe you do. Because every time God speaks through his word, it's life-giving. Even if it's hard, it brings about life. Every time he speaks, it's freeing. Yes, it's disruptive, but it's disruptive in the best way possible for you. And God is worth trusting. The word that he speaks to us, his message is actually for our good in ways that you could not imagine or even maybe see right now. He always speaks peace. He always speaks freedom. And if we could become a people who tend to the scriptures again and again and again, becoming, as that prayer says, a people who read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest scripture, we will find that we are in touch with the voice of God. We'll find that we're in communion with him in his teaching by observing and reflecting on and praying through scriptures. We read about Jesus and all the other texts that point to him. It's a key way that we can do this. And if you, um, an easy way to do this is to either read the Bible for yourself, to pay attention when we're reading the Bible to you, but also just to find someone and say, hey, you want to read the Bible together? That's a really simple thing you can do. Find someone to say, I want to read John with you. That's a great place to start. Read the Gospel of John. And you don't have to be a seminary grad or a scholar. You can just open it up and read it and mark down some questions and bring them to Walter. Walter knows a ton about the Bible, right? Or me. There are lots of people in here that you can pull over and say, what is this even talking about? Engage scripture. Res, maybe this morning uh, we can refresh our gratitude for God's voice in his living word, his message through his son, Jesus. Maybe we can refresh our perspective that it's re- if it's really true that God has died, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again that he's actually working out something in our lives and speaking actively to us and fundamentally changing our posture toward the world and renovating our hearts and our lives. He's at work in us, if that is all true. Maybe this morning we can refresh our commitment to that reality and welcome the voice of God who speaks to us, not losing sight of the way that he speaks and what he has said, but taking hold all the more out of gratitude this message of the gospel that God has given to us that tells us who we really are and where things are really headed. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.